Well, this morning we come to Daniel chapter 7 in our study of Daniel. And the nature of the book changes here a little bit in that the first part of the book, the first half of the book, we have had some historical narrative. Daniel's time with the kings uh, there in Babylon. And now we move to Daniel's visions, one of which we get here right at the outset in Daniel chapter 7, which for him, he confesses, is a troubling vision, one that causes him great consternation, and one that is picked up again by John in the book of Revelation as was read, and I think you could hear the overlaps with Daniel 7 and Revelation 13, as was read to us today, with some alteration uh, as uh, John receives a vision as well, um, and uh, yet there's some slight alterations. We'll, we'll perhaps think about why, and we could spend more time on that as well in Sunday school. It's important for us to remember I reminded us of this when we looked at the book of Revelation, what we're thinking about when we read a vision, what a vision is. Uh, When we think of a vision, we ought to think of an unveiling. Uh, We we ought to think of a, the word revelation, and hence the name of the book of Revelation is called that. uh, The the word is apocalypse. And an apocalypse is an unveiling, like a pulling back of the veil. There's something hidden, there's something behind the veil, and the veil is pulled back so that we can see what's really happening. And generally in visions, uh, they are rich in symbolism. As uh, Pastor Glenn Parkinson in in Baltimore helped me uh, understand with his analogy, he said visions, you have to remember, are not photographs. Photographs kind of tell you what is, Right? Who are the people in the room? A vision tells you the significance of the things in the room. A vision is God giving you what your eyes cannot necessarily see. A photograph gives you what you see. We can all see what was in the photograph. But a vision, when John is given a vision, he's given the significance of things. When Daniel is given a vision, he's given the significance of the things. Again, here's why the, the loaded symbolism is in there, because he is giving you pictures by which you can understand the things that are. So that's important for us to remember. I I say that because unfortunately there are those within the Christian church who actually think that beasts are going to come up out of the sea and devour the people of God. Okay. And, and I think that's, that's a misinterpretation of a vision. That's just not how visions work. That's not what, and that doesn't mean we're not taking the Bible literally. It means we are taking it literally. We're taking it the way it was meant to be read, you know, and we do this all the time in other parts of literature. We, we read poetry as poetry. We don't read it as, as historical narrative. We understand metaphor, for example. We don't say, well, if, if, it, if it says this about God, then you're not taking it literal if you don't actually believe it was his right arm that, that delivered people out of Egypt. Um, God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body. But he, but he speaks metaphorically. And it's true. It's true because the right arm is a symbol within the literature of the Bible for power and authority. Jesus sits at the right hand of God. It's not that God literally has a right hand, but the right hand of God is a metaphorical image for his a position of authority. And we get that. We understand that when we're reading poetry. And sometimes we forget that when we're reading vision. We think, well, no, it says it right here. It has to be. Well, we have to read it the way it's meant to be read. Okay, 
let's get to Daniel's vision. Let's kind of recount the vision that he sees and think of the significance of what's going on and then link that to Revelation because Revelation pulls us, if you will, pulls this vision and links it, I think, to our age. What does Daniel see? Daniel's laying in his bed and he gets this vision, if you will. He, he, he sees the veil of reality pulled back and the Lord gives him an interpretation of the things that are coming to pass. And what he sees are four kingdoms. Now, Daniel's not sure at first what this is. It will have to be interpreted to him. Uh, four kingdoms depicted in four vicious animals um, that he sees. He, he looks out and the first thing he sees is a lion. Now, now before I, I guess I should say before that, if we go back up into verse two, actually this begins... Uh, with something else. I, Daniel, my vision, and I behold, four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. So the four winds of heaven, and it's interesting if you go to Revelation chapter 7, the angels are there holding back the four winds, the four winds representing the four corners of the earth coming from north, east, south, and west. Um, but in Daniel's vision here, the angels uh, who are holding back the winds uh, that are going to stir up the sea I'll let them loose and the winds release and they come and they stir up the sea. Now, again, the sea in the Bible is an image, a symbol of the nations. Okay, it's a symbol of the world, of the nations. And usually when the sea is stirred up, that means bad things for the people of God. Uh, when the billows are rolling and the sea is raging, that is usually, that's a, a symbolic picture of the raging of the nations, even of what we just sang in, in uh, Psalm 2. The nations plotting and raging against the Lord and against his anointed is often symbolized by the sea. And, and again, I, we could have fun with this in Sunday school together, but we can think about a couple images of this. Think about Jonah when he's supposed to go to the nations. He's supposed to go to Assyria and he refuses, right? And he gets on a boat. He does not want to go into the sea, if you will. Uh, and he, he gets in a boat and he's going to sail away to another land. And the Lord comes and stirs up the sea. And the only way to calm it is what? Throw Jonah into it. And then Jonah is thrown into the sea and then he's vomited out. We have all kinds of pictures of Christ in that, of course. But then he goes to another raging sea. He has to go to the Assyrians. You know, this is the sea he was trying to avoid. And the Lord demonstrates to him, even in, his, in, the, in, in that act of judgment, uh, what needed to be done. And the sea represents the raging of the nations there. Um, gives us, it gives us uh, a deeper significance to the fact that Jesus calms the sea. Uh, when he's at the storm, and this is not just, oh, they just happen to be out and a, a bad weather pattern came through the Sea of Galilee, though it is that, but something else is happening, uh, something for the reader to understand, something even for the disciples to see that, yes, it is all oh, the mighty power of God, of Jesus, that he can just calm the storm and make the sea a sea of glass. Yes, but of course, it's much bigger than that, too. He's the one who rules the nations, and we're going to see that at the end of the Gospels. He says, "Go on, now go there to all nations. And, and baptize them uh, and make disciples of them. Same thing with him walking across the sea. You know, that's not just watch this miraculous thing I can do. Look how I can do a shortcut uh, from this side to that side. That's not, not just that. And he goes walking by the boat. Uh, you know, it's, it's that. It is that. It's, it's miraculous power, but it's also a demonstration of his authority over the raging sea, the nations. So the winds come and stir up the nations and again, this is important when we go to Revelation that we see 
in Revelation 7, the angels holding back the winds. So the fact that the winds come and stir up the sea, and yet the winds were being held back by the angels of God, by the four living creatures, um, tells us again, the only reason in this case that the sea gets whipped up is because the Lord let the winds go. Right, The Lord let the winds. It's very important in this vision, and it's very important in the visions of Revelation that we see that even the beasts do what they do by the authority of God. In, in Revelation 6, just prior to the holding back of the winds, the image we get in Revelation is the unsealing of the seals of the book that's in the hand of the, of the, of the Lamb, Right? And each of the horsemen then that ride out, the, these four horsemen that just ravage the earth are summoned by God's minister to come forth. And things are given to them. It was given to him to have authority. Listen, even the beast in Revelation 13, it was given to him to have dominion and authority and even to make war against the saints. So these winds are released by God and the sea is stirred up. This is so important. Don't, we, don't you feel the chaos of the world around us today? I mean, we've got this whole business with Hamas and Israel and Russia and Ukraine and who knows where these things are going and man, our souls are troubled and so forth and it can feel like chaos is raging, right? The, the raging of the nations in, in uh, Psalm 2. But don't forget, our God in heaven laughs. Psalm 2 is, is the only place I know of, I think, where God laughs. But our God in heaven laughs. He mocks them. The only reason that the seas are getting churned up is the Lord lets the wind go. There's nothing happening here that our God is not sovereign over. So, so I, I make a mistake if I jump right over verse 2. The Lord lets the winds go. And okay, now what happens? The sea is churned up, and out of these raging nations comes beasts. The, and here again, think lay, lay this over Daniel 2. Where in Daniel 2, we also saw four kingdoms. Now in Daniel 2, you'll remember, it was in the form of a statue with four metals. So you had the golden head of Babylon. Then it would be succeeded by the silver shoulders and chest of, of the Persians, followed by the bronze uh, uh, waist and thighs of the Greeks, followed by the iron legs of the Romans. So somehow this story climaxes and ends with the Romans, with that fourth kingdom, which he Daniel wouldn't have known was Rome. Nebuchadnezzar wouldn't have known was Rome, but we know it's Rome because it's the four major, uh, fourth uh, uh, empire. And it ends, something significant ends. A story in some way ends at Rome, which is worth contemplating. Well, here again, we have four, four kingdoms. In this case, not four metals, but now four animals. And the first, let's let's assume that we're speaking of Babylon here, is that of a lion. The lion is the, is the king of the, the jungle, right? The, the lion is vicious and, and rules uh, the earth and the animal kingdom in some sense. And even more than that, he's got the wings of an eagle. So this is a lion, but a hyped up lion. This is a lion who is ruling the earth, but also the air. Right? So just we don't have to read too much into wings or why eagle or why lion. We can just say if the eagle dominates the sky and the, the, the lion dominates the land. I mean, this is a, a supercharged kingdom. But this kingdom, uh, while it is given authority, it's strong. Eventually, it starts to fade. It actually, its wings are plucked off. 
It loses its some authority. It's made to stand on two feet like a man, and the heart of a man is given to it. Not the heart of a lion, now the heart of a man. And it starts to, to lose its ferocity, and it starts to lose its power and its control. And ultimately, we know it's defeated. It's so weak that Belshazzar, we thought about this, is holding a party one night, and, and, and Darius just comes in and takes him over. You know, it's not, not, a, not a really big fight. It's just like, okay, it's ours now, and Belshazzar's done. Uh, so, so they okay, they're mighty and they're strong with Nebuchadnezzar, and then they begin to fade. And so he sees another beast coming up out of the sea, and this one is like a bear, no less ferocious. Um, and he's like a bear, and he's raised up on one side. Okay, interesting. Now here, this would be the Medes and the Persians, okay, so who have just come in and taken over Nebuchadnezzar. So this second kingdom, also strong, very strong, like a bear, um, made of two parts, right? The Medes and the Persians, and one side stronger than the other. We'll see that next week as well with the two horns of a ram. One is longer and more powerful than the other um, because the Medes and the Persians came together, but it was really the Persians that were the dominant force and the Medes were the, the lesser force. And they had just come off conquering other kingdoms, they're growing and expanding. This bear has, it's a vicious image. He's got three bloody ribs sticking out of its mouth. He's already chewing on the carcass that he's just conquered. And, uh, and it was given to them, it was told to them, arise and do more conquering. Now, who's doing the commanding here? Again, the Lord. The Lord is summoning the bear of the Persians and the Medes. With the ribs, you know, it's like he's the, the bear's over there just ripping apart a carcass, and the Lord says, Hey, and he looks up and his ribs sticking out. And he's like, Come here, I have more for you to devour. And uh, go over there and devour them. And he dev they devour the, the, the Babylonian kingdom and they take it over. But after this, they only last so long, the Persians. And after this, another beast comes up out of the sea and this one is like a leopard and again we're tracking with the statue now we've got the greeks we've got alexander the great uh they're the next successive kingdom and this kingdom is like a leopard a leopard's also a savage hunter um, but when we think of a leopard we think of speed we think of agility and when you think of alexander the great uh you would do well to think of a leopard that'd be a great a great picture for him because he is a he's a king of, of speed he he basically rules for for uh only a couple years you know he he takes over when he's 20 and he dies when he's 30 or thereabouts it's about 10 to 12 years and within that short window of time he conquers basically the known world he just takes off and and like a leopard if you will conquers greece and shoots over to Asia Minor, conquers that, conquers the Persians, conquers Egypt, and begins to head east and conquers into India, and then has sights on, I don't know, let's just keep going. I see land, let's keep conquering. And uh, and his men finally you know, put the reins on the leopard and say, hey, whoa, whoa, uh, calm down. Uh, I think we need to go back. And Alexander doesn't even make it back home before he dies. Um, he just, his life was just like a short turbo boost of conquering. Uh, like a leopard. It'd be a, it'd be a fine uh, image for him. I mean, not only this leopard, this leopard has four wings like a bird. I mean, he again, a, it's a turbocharged uh, a leopard. And man, Alexander the Great was. And notice in verse six, dominion was given to it. So it's not just that Alexander. I mean, why does Alexander the Great conquer all that? Because dominion was given to him. Why did the Lord give Alexander that dominion? I don't know, but he did. Uh, maybe it was to spread 
you know, Greek all over the world so that when the gospel came, everybody could speak Greek. I don't know, but that ended up being the case in some sense. I don't know why, but, but what we do know is that the Lord gave dominion to him. But then in verse seven, after this, I saw a fourth beast. This would be our iron legs in the image of our statue. And this one is unlike all the others. You, you thought Babylon was something, you know, Persia, the Greeks, okay, they were, they were mighty kingdoms, but it was like Rome was a different kind of kingdom, a different kind of empire, just takes it to another level, just a different species of thing. And this one with its iron legs, and in this case, iron teeth, you hear the iron, so there's the, the linking with the statue, just devouring and tearing in pieces, leaving carnage all over the place, and then stomping on the carnage as, as they go, and pretty vicious, and they rule, we've got these 10 horns. Um, we will not go into the particulars of all that. We can maybe talk a little bit in Sunday school. But we got the 10 horns, these images of authority. 10 is a number of completion. Uh, usually bad completion, but completion. So like completion, but with scary background music. You know, like if seven is a number of completion, but with like beautiful background music, you know, it just you hear seven, you think completeness and fullness and your heart feels good about it. When you hear the number 10, it's like completeness and fullness, but it has like that scary music behind it. And you're thinking, oh. And that, that's what you have here with Rome. There's a fullness of authority, but it's not good authority. It's not like the seven horns of the lamb in, in uh, Revelation 5, you know, where it's like horn is the image of authority and power. And, you know, you got the lamb with the seven horns and seven eyes and complete knowledge and complete authority and it's beautiful background music as well so this one's scary this is going to set daniel on edge now let's hold for a second on what daniel sees next and let's just jump to the interpretation uh because daniel is grieved by this he this is scary stuff man you got lions and wings being plucked off and a bear with ribs sticking out of his mouth and leopards flying around and and a, a beast coming and just crushing everything and carnage and chomping with his iron teeth and daniel's like wow what do i what do i make of this and this one standing by tells him these are four successive kingdoms so we're not making stuff up when we say oh yeah see the babylonians the persians the greeks and the romans because those are the four successive massive kingdoms and empires so we we're not we're not over interpreting that's literally what is going on here one kingdom is outdoing the other and we're moving to the place of this super kingdom that is going to come and make war against the saints now in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 13, we are literally, if we go place ourselves there now, we are standing at the time of the fourth beast, right? We're in the Roman Empire when John is writing this. John is on the island of Patmos as the this different kind of species of beast is trampling all over the world. I mean, the Roman Republic has been growing, conquering, you know, and making war all over the earth, and they're going to continue to grow um, as they go. And it's, it's, it's savage. Um, it's in the one sense, and we're going to, we can spend time on this in Revelation too. It's beautiful. Rome is beautiful and yet savage. And that's why it's interesting that the picture in Revelation is of a beast with a, a seductive prostitute riding on its back. 
Yeah, because that's like, that's the way you could say what Rome is. Rome is beautiful and seductive and yet vicious at the same time. And that's exactly what we have going on. John is right in the middle of, as he gives his vision to the church, the church is living in the conclusion of Daniel's vision as they receive revelation. They're right at the climax of that story. And so Daniel gets a vision, you'll remember, go back and read it, if you will, in, Dan in uh, Revelation 13, of the sea. And this beast comes up out of the sea, just like Daniel. And this beast, while it is Rome, on the one hand, because it is that fourth beast, right, that, that's coming up, it's got the ten, the, the ten horns and the seven heads and so forth. As it comes up out of the sea, it also looks like all the other beasts. It's got, it, it, it is the fourth beast, and yet it has signs of a leopard and signs of an eagle and signs of a lion. The beast comes up out of the sea looking like all the beasts, and yet he is the fourth beast. And what John is giving us is a description for his readers about the age in which they live, linking them back to Daniel. This is why when you read the book of Revelation, you have to know your Old Testament. If not, you're going to be thinking, wow, a beast is going to come up out of the ocean? No, you got to come on. You got to know your Bibles. You got to know Daniel. So when John is telling us this, we're just clicking in. Oh, okay, Daniel or John, I see what you're saying here. I see what you're saying. We're in this time. Here comes this beast up out of the sea that is the fourth beast and yet is more than the fourth beast, right? He represents all the beasts. He is the archetypical beast, if you will, rising up out of the among the nations. And it was said and was given to him to make war against the saints and to dominate them. And the book of Revelation is a hard book because it tells us that the beast hates your guts. And the beast wants to destroy you. And there, as this beast comes up out of the sea, on the shore is a dragon. And the dragon is empowering the beast to make war against the saints. This isn't just political turmoil that's going on out in the world. No, it's empowered by the dragon to make war against the saints. That is the battle. That is the story of the world in which we live. We're not just, Christianity is just not just happening among a whole world of chaotic things that are going on. This whole world is a world, a story about the battle between the lamb and the beast. Between the dragon and God, the ancient of days. Any means necessary. Fear and ravaging bears with ribs sticking out of their mouths or a seductive harlot. Anything that will destroy the saints, the people of God, will be done. And Daniel gets a little vision of this. Most of this for Daniel is well out into the future. It's John who picks it back up and says, and so it is. But this is not all Daniel sees. He doesn't just see four scary kingdoms with the fourth one being the worst of all. He sees something else there in verse 9. And I watched till the thrones were put in place. Right, so these, these four kingdoms are ruling. But at that time, then the Ancient of Days is seated. And his garment is white as snow, his hair was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. And fire a fire stream issued forth from it and came forth from before him. And a thousand ministered to him, 10,000 times 10,000. So in the midst of all this, 
there is one seated upon a throne. And don't forget, if we go back to Revelation, sure, Revelation 13 is really scary. You're like, oh boy, we got to face that? But Daniel's vision begins, John's vision begins in Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4, he is ushered into the throne room. Come up here, there's a door standing open, and he's ushered into the throne room of God, and there is one seated upon a throne. And the one seated upon the throne is like, precious stones. I can't even, his glory was so great. I can't even describe it. There was a rainbow encircling him, symbolizing the faithfulness of God to his people. And before him was a sea. A sea as calm as glass, clear as crystal. Before the throne room of God, that raging sea when you come down beneath heaven and the beast is coming out of the sea the sea that we have to face is raging and storming and beasts are coming out of it but if you could just get the heavenly vision there is the ancient of days seated and before him is a sea of glass god is not off kilter with what's happening in israel or ukraine or maureen or you or me we feel off kilter. We feel like everything's out of control. We don't know how to make sense of it. We cry out to God, but before God is a sea of glass. And he is firmly seated upon a throne, ruling all things. If the beasts have any power, it has been given to them by our sovereign God. And the one who gives it can and will remove it when he sees fit. If the beast has the authority to ravage the, 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 the saints of God, it has been given to him for his divine purposes, and when he sees fit, he will take it away. In fact, he will take it away violently. Read the end of Revelation. The beast is violently slain and thrown into the lake of fire. Given dominion for a time, for God's purposes. God wants his church to suffer, and he wants the suffering of his church to be the means by which the gospel is given to the world. But don't ever forget, as scary as these kingdoms are, as scary as the nations are raging and plotting against God and his anointed, there our God is seated firmly upon the throne with a jovial laugh. And then in verse 13, while I was watching, behold, one like a son of man, this figure that I can't quite make it, all I can tell you is he was one like a son of man, but he was, he was coming on the clouds. Here, Daniel is up. Daniel's in the perspective of being in the throne room, just like John in Revelation 4. And he's he's just un, he's blown away by the glory of God and the presence of what he describes as the ancient of days. But he looks and, and behold, here comes one toward heaven, riding on the cloud of glory. Again, a symbolic image of the Shekinah glory. Think about the, the cloud, the pillar of cloud that followed, that led Israel by day, right? That in then, and then that uh, filled the temple. It was the, it was that cloud of glory. And, and while I'm watching, here comes one like a son of man riding on the clouds. And he came up to the ancient of days. He's coming from down below where the beasts are. And the beasts have done their worst. And yet here he comes riding on glory to the ancient of days. And what happens when, and they brought him near before him. So he's brought into the court, if you will. And then to him was given dominion 
and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Here this one like a son of man is brought up on the clouds of glory to the ancient of days, seated at his right hand and given all authority and dominion and power over all the nations, over every tribe and so forth. That is somebody from below, right? Somebody, somebody coming up to heaven. A representative of Israel coming up and now being vested with all authority over all the beasts as scary as they are. And again, here's where we need the Gospels, and here's where we need Revelation. Daniel, okay, who is this one like a son of man? Well, we don't even need, we read that, we know. Jesus, Jesus' most familiar term he used for himself throughout his Gospel ministry was son of man. That's what he said of himself. The son of man does this, the son of man does that. Connecting himself with this figure in Daniel, who himself was going to face the beast, the fourth beast of Rome. And a conglomeration of beasts, because you were going to have Israel and Rome conspiring together in this beastly way. The beastly cries of the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. You could just, the foaming of the, the, the crowd as they're raging against the Lord and against his anointed, plotting against him to have him crucified. And they do their damnedest to him. They crucify him. And they bury him. Three days later, he rises from the dead, overcoming the worst they can do. And 40 days later, he ascends to the right hand of the Father on the clouds of glory. And he is seated and given all authority over all nations. And this is why just before he ascends, he turns to his disciples in the Great Commission. And he says, now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Don't, don't you fear the beasts? I've faced the beasts in their entirety. I faced the fourth and final beast, the archetypical beast, the worst the beasts can do. And as we've said, they've been defanged and declawed. I've defeated them. You, therefore, go into all nations. Now, make no mistake about it. The, lion, the Satan is still like a lion seeking human may devour. The nations of this earth are still beastly. They have been given dominion to make war against the saints and to dominate them for a time. In this case, it said a time, times, and half a time. Right? One and two and a half. Three and a half. In the book of Revelation, you see this again and again and again. Three and a half years. Or 42 months. Or 1260 days. All these different images of half of seven. Which is just the symbolic image of bad. Hard, short, maybe it's your whole life, relatively short within the grand scheme of things. Just know it's short and intense and bad. And this calls, as we just read, this calls for patient endurance among the saints. You must endure. We must endure even the hardship of a request like yours, right, with Maureen. We feel that. And we go, Lord, please make this pain stop. Make it stop. He will. He will. And I, you, we wish it would come sooner. I wish the pain to our grief and to our sorrows, the DiCaprio family, praying for them. We wish that their pain would go away. It will. 
We wish it would be quicker. We wish, but, but right now calls for patient endurance. We look at the nightmare over in Israel. We wish that there will be world peace. There will be. There will be. This calls for patient endurance among the saints. We wish that our battle with sin would be over. It will be. But right now you must fight. Right now you must patiently endure. The beast has been given dominion for a time to do his worst, but he can't do his worst, right? Because Jesus has overcome him. The, the son of man has ascended to the right hand of the father and he has all authority in heaven and earth. And therefore it's only a matter of time. And it's only as long as he allows it that the beast has such dominion. So we got to hold these two things in balance. On the one hand, we've got to remember there's a beast and it will be hard. At the same time, we must remember that victory is Christ, not will be Christ. It is Christ. He has achieved it. And even just before that picture in Revelation 13, when the beast comes out of the sea, we get a picture of the angel of the Lord standing with one foot on land and one foot on the sea. He's standing on the sea with legs like pillars of fire. With this idea being, I rule the land and the sea. And right after that, you see a beast come up out of the sea. But remember, he comes out of the sea that the Lord walked on. He comes up out of the sea that the Lord with a word says peace. And it's a, once the Lord says peace, the sea's calm. And before his throne, even right now, is a sea of glass. So don't you fear. Don't be like the disciples running around with their hairs on fire, their hair on fire going, we're going to die. We're, gonna, we're not going to make it out of here. You serve the one. He's in your boat. Who, when he says peace, it's peace. He has secured that with his blood. He has defeated the beast and the dragon. And that's the one that you and I serve. And Daniel gets this prevision of this. And boy, is his soul troubled because these bees look ravenous. And I don't understand this, this one like a son of man. But he sums it all up in verses 17 and 18. Daniel says, hey, could you give me an interpretation of these things? And the one standing by just says, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Like that is, that is the simple, don't get lost in all the details. They are fun to look at. And think through, why a leopard, why a bear, why three ribs? You know, okay, okay, but be careful. Be careful because you can get lost in there. But do you want the simplest interpretation of this? The four beasts are four kingdoms. And yeah, they're really scary and they're given dominion for a time. But everlasting dominion is given. And notice he doesn't say to the son of man, though it is. But through the son of man it is given to the saints of the Most High. Brothers and sisters, you will have dominion forever and ever because of what the Son of Man has done. And therefore, as John tells us in Revelation 13, this calls for patient endurance. Be patient. Endure. Run the race with endurance, knowing with your eyes fixed on Christ, knowing he has already won and he will bring his victory to consummation the minute he says peace. And so endure 
throughout the battle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, though these images disturb us and we find ourselves with smoke coming out of our ears because we don't know how to interpret everything, nonetheless, Lord, help us see this, that while the beastly powers rage, they rage only by your sovereign allowance. And we must be patient in our endurance and we must be faithful unto the end, regardless the pain, regardless the trial, regardless the affliction. Keep us patient, keep us enduring, knowing that even now at your right hand is seated one like a son of man who endured, who was faithful, who was patient, who was obedient, who overcame the beast and the dragon and who now reigns at your right hand until the day when he utters the word peace. And when he does, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and we will inherit the kingdom for all eternity. We thank you for that. Keep our eyes fixed on that and keep us enduring patiently until that day. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.